song will be stuck in our head all day. And you know, this idea that God likes you, you know, we sing this silly song, but it has incredibly important implications to our life. If we could learn to live knowing that we were loved by God, that he created us on purpose and with the purpose that God likes us, it changes everything. And today, as we continue looking at a letter written to the Ephesians, a letter written to help those of us who follow Jesus know how to do so, we're looking at how together we can make an incredible impact, even change the world. There's a remarkable true story that happened in the last century in Romania. In 1944, Romania was overrun by the Soviets, and Nikolai Ceausescu had just been released from prison. Seeing his opportunity, he rose to power among the communist youth. And by 1970, he was the president of communist Romania. And he was brutal. He forced the people of Romania to move from their land into these communist apartment buildings. He sold all of their produce to other countries, to make himself wealthy and the leaders wealthy, even as the people starved. In these apartment buildings, the heater was set to 55 degrees as the highest it would go, even in the most brutal winter days. The people were forced to have five children in order to raise up more of an army, and many of those children ended up in orphanages as their parents could not feed them or take care of them. He even bullied the churches to close their doors or preach the communist way. And many pastors compromised, but not Laszlo Tokes. In 1987, Tokes became the pastor of a church of about 50 people in a small town in Romania near the Hungarian border. And Tokes had a dream to see what could happen if the church actually understood God's vision for it, a community of people who would be a spiritual light in dark Romania. And so he announced this new vision based on Ephesians chapter 4, the passage we're looking at today. He said, I'm not the only pastor. We must all be like pastors to each other and those outside our walls. And those 50 people began to do just that. Instead of fearing and distrusting everyone in this terrible environment, they began to care and serve and pray for the people around them. Within a few years, the church continued to reach people and disciple people to the point where there were 5,000 people that were coming, growing together with a sense of hope and love and purpose, even in the midst of such difficult circumstances. But as you can imagine, this became a threat to Ceausescu and his communist regime. They accused Tokes of violating the laws of both church and state, and they barred him from ministry. Excuse me. But he would not stop. He kept speaking the truth and uniting his people. He even reached across denominational lines for an enormous unity rally. Well, this was the final straw for the government. 
They showed up at his church, the secret police carrying machine guns. Every person that attended that Sunday and the Sundays to follow was making a silent act of protest. I mean, can you imagine showing up on a Sunday and the building surrounded with men carrying machine guns? I mean, we think the parking lot is bad. And I don't want to make light of the parking lot. I know some of you are not good drivers. It can be a dangerous place. But in their silent act of protest, they kept coming week after week. And in the midst of that, Tokes and his wife began to fear for their own safety. And so they sent their son, who was four years old, off to be with relatives. And just a few days later, four men in ski masks broke into their home, wielding knives. Tokes and the friends with them helped fight them off, even as he was sliced in the face with a knife. Eventually, not wanting to make him a martyr, the government started killing Tokes' friends to get their point across. Eventually, he faced eviction and deportation on December 15th, 1989. And the Sunday before, he stood before his congregation to tell them farewell, to tell them to stand strong, to tell them to keep doing as they were doing, loving in spite of the fear all around them. But the night before he was to be arrested, a crowd gathered around his home, hundreds of people from different denominations, a human shield had formed around the apartment. Tokes looked out his window, saw the crowd, and he shouted out, we are all one in Christ. We speak different languages, but we have the same Bible and the same God. We are one. The town's communist mayor came to try to break things up, try to turn the Romanians against the Hungarians that were there, but it didn't work. As dusk settled in, a college student named Daniel Garva walked over to his pastor named Peter and opened up his jacket. Peter expected to see weapons, but instead was surprised to see candles. Tokes looked out and saw hundreds of candles lit. He, he said, I don't know what tomorrow brings, but I know the Spirit of God is with us. That morning before dawn, the secret police broke through the human barrier grabbed hold of Tokes and his wife, beat Tokes up, and whisked him and his wife away. But even still, the fire had been lit. The crowd moved to the public square, and this time thousands came with them. That night, not just hundreds of candles, but thousands of candles were lit as they sang songs, praying out for freedom. The government moved in. Daniel Garva remembers distributing candles and marching down the square as the soldiers opened fired. The girl on his right immediately dropped to the ground. He felt a pain like he'd never felt before. As he fell to the ground, his left leg had been blown off. In the confusion and darkness, the savage gunfire claimed victim after victim, but the people stood strong. And just in a couple weeks, Ceausescu was gone. Romania was free. The church is filled with people thanking God. And this became the beginning of the collapse of the Soviet Union. Peter, the pastor, visited Daniel Garva several days later in the hospital where he had a stump where his left leg had been. But Daniel's spirits were high. He said, Pastor, you know, I don't mind so much that I lost my leg. After all, I lit the first candle. A church of 50 
choosing to love and serve each other and the people around them became a part of a revolution that ended the Soviet Union. And some of you are too young to remember. The Soviet Union was horrifying, scary. We had nuclear bomb drills when I was a kid in Lubbock, as if Lubbock was going to be attacked, but still. This is a true story of how the church can be a force for change. And that's God's intention. His intention is that we undo the evil that we see around us. Together, we make an impact. I mean, think of how broken our world is and how the church can intervene. The marriages that are breaking apart and the church that can come and serve the couple and bring renewal and restoration. The single parents who on their own, can't seem to manage to get by without any family near and the church that rallies around them to help them. Those struggling with addiction, those affected by the addictions of those they love, cared for, finding healing in the local church. Or what about those experiencing racial injustice in a world that seems to try to divide us? It's the church that can be a bridge between the nations. See, you and I are a part of something that can be transformative as part of the church. This is God's plan. For better or for worse, it's us. Living and functioning together as his church to bring his light to a dark world. So let's look again, just back a week. In Ephesians 3, we saw how God's purpose, it says, in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light. See, we lived in darkness, but then light came within us, but that light is to extend into our community and from our community into our world. But you can't do everything and you can't change everything. That's why we need to work together as one body. One candle cannot light the sky, but thousands can. And today we're looking at chapters four and a little bit from five as we continue this idea of our identity in Christ. And and you see in the first three chapters of Ephesians that, that your identity in Christ makes a dramatic difference. See, religion is our attempt to get to God. We try to do things to to make an angry God happy. But what we see in the scriptures is that's not his nature. That instead, God is loving and kind, and he will make all things right. He will bring justice. But his desire is that each one of us would come to know him. He has chosen us. He has adopted us when we say yes to following Jesus. And he makes us new, but he doesn't only just make us new, he puts us in a new family, a new community, a new humanity where there are no divisions or barriers. He invites us to be part of his family business in his new family, to accomplish his work, a powerful force for change. But you have to be willing to do your part, to light your candle along with others. So what does that mean? Chapter four, verse two. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. You see, when we read these words, I don't want us to miss how remarkable this is. 
You see, to live a humble and gentle life is revolutionary. That is literally countercultural to be forgiving to other people. To, to make every effort to, to live united is not the way of this world. That when you and I team together, serve each other, and love each other, when we live out of our identity knowing that he loves us, he likes us, and because of that, we want to do the good he's prepared for us to do, that he enables us, he empowers us to do it. See, something remarkable happens when you and I say yes to Jesus, when we acknowledge that what he did on the cross is what we need, forgiveness, because he died on the cross for all of humanity and we need that forgiveness. We want him to be our leader, our Lord. Something miraculous happens. Not only are we adopted into his family, but his spirit comes to live within us. The same spirit that had the power to raise Jesus from the get dead lives within you and me. And so there's this odd little verse in chapter five that gives us a little bit more of, of, of guidance of how to live with the spirit guiding us. It says this, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now this verse, you know, for some of us, we're thinking, well, yeah, but wine and being drunk is fun, right? <laughs> but I want to ask you, I mean, you might have experimented with PCP or LSD or THC, but have you experimented with the HS? <laughs> If you didn't like that joke, I was going to blame John Burke. Yeah. But when we follow God and the Holy Spirit comes, what if we gave control to God and let him guide us to give us not liquid courage, but real courage? So what happens here is oftentimes we, we live such numb and anxious and fearful lives that we give control to something else, to other spirits instead of to the spirit. The spirit that enables us and helps us live with love and joy and peace and self-control and patience and kindness. By the way, after the first service, Wes Walmack showed me a tattoo he got on his first year of sobriety. Can I show it to you? He lifts up his shirt and uh, it says Ephesians 5.18. That's a bartender, I guess, pouring out a bottle of wine or the spirit or something. Yeah, that's his, uh, his love handle right there for you all to see. So the letter to Ephesians explains how God wants his church to function, and it might surprise you. Verse 11, chapter 4. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. See, don't miss this because one of the reasons the church has become ineffective is because too often the church thinks it's the job of the pastor to do God's work. I grew up thinking that way. When I was growing up, my parents would give me and my brother a nickel for an allowance. This was in the 1980s, not the 1920s. <laughs> and then every week we had to give our tithe, which was a penny. But by the way, I discovered later, a penny is not 10% of a nickel. It's 20%. But I remember thinking as a kid, well, I've already paid my dues so he can go out and do all the work. It wasn't until I began to follow Jesus and realized later that, that I'm called to be a minister, that everyone who follows Jesus, we're all called to be a minister, and that there are offices, there are 
people who have a special gifting, but their gift is given to them to help us live out our gifts. And here are just five of those gifts. Some are, are gifted to be apostles. They're like spiritual entrepreneurs. They're great at starting new initiatives. Some are gifted as prophets. They keep the church true to God's word, and they speak on God's behalf, helping us remember God's promises. And then there are evangelists, which help spread the message, the good news. Now, some of you just went to like television evangelist and thought big hair. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about people who have this gift of bringing hope and love to the people around them. And then there are teachers or pastors who make sure everyone gets connected and cared for spiritually. And teachers, those who make sure that we're learning God's ways. But these five offices can't do all the work. They're to equip the rest of us, all of us, to do his work. We all have a part to play. Verse 7, chapter 4, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. God has given you gifts to use in the family business, to do his work with others. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been not only adopted and chosen, not only are you an heir of the king, you are gifted. And these gifts we can discover in the midst of serving. First Peter chapter two says it this way, you are a chosen people, you are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Do you hear what he's saying? You're his priest. Now, don't freak out. You don't have to wear robes or wear a pointy hat. These stereotypes sabotage what God intended. So you have a ministry to do using the gift or gifts that God has given you. And you can discover those gifts and develop those gifts when you begin to serve them. And you may be thinking, well, I'm still kind of new to this. I don't have, the all, have all the answers. How can I be a priest? How can I represent God to other people? So you don't have to have all the answers, but you can listen. That's what most people need around us. Someone who will listen, hear their story, and point them towards the one who brings hope and life. Someone after the first service pointed out the word listen and silent have the same letters, just mixed up. Some of us need to learn to be good listeners. We don't have to have all the answers, but have a heart to sit down with someone and hear their story. What's interesting is when we begin to serve others, we might be surprised at how in trying to meet the needs of others, our needs are met. A few years ago, Jessica came to Gateway South when we were over at Crockett High School and she decided to jump in. She wanted to be part of this community, and she heard us say that the best way to get connected with others is serve others with others, and so she did. She decided to serve with preschool. She loves kids, and, and this was her step into community. Uh, she wrote us this week. She said, I feel like I'm definitely benefiting from the power of community, more so a community that's centered around Jesus. Being in real community has actually always been something that I've battled with, even since becoming a follower of Jesus. She writes in all caps, I love being by myself. I have to push myself to engage and invest in all, the kinds, all these kinds of relationships. And I've been pushing myself to serve on Sundays and to be in my life group. Sometimes I share things in the small break-off groups, but sometimes I don't. 
Sometimes I go to those kinds of things because I think God loves it even if I feel awkward. But in the midst of her trying to honor God and serving these little kids and helping them grow, she found herself in a difficult spot. Bills were mounting because of school and just living in the real world. And so at one point, she wasn't sure how she could pay her rent. And eventually, she realized that she was probably going to have to live out of her car. And she even started planning. She could take her showers at the gym. And in the middle of that moment of crisis, a couple years after she'd begun serving, she had a a memory of, of one of the women she served with, a woman named Nancy. See, Nancy, a couple years prior, when she'd started serving with the kids, had said to her, if you ever need anything, just let me know, even a place to stay. And so a couple years later, when Jessica called Nancy on the verge of homelessness, what she didn't know is that Nancy had been praying for the opportunity to open her home. See, her kids had grown up and moved out of the house, and she felt compelled to open her home to someone in need. And she was praying for God to show her who, and then Jessica calls saying, hey, Nancy, remember me? I don't have a place to stay. And so now, Nancy sees Jessica as an answer to prayer, but Jessica sees Nancy and her husband Joel as an answer to prayer. She writes, honestly, being in such a tough place with finances and school and career, now I'm benefiting from community so much more than I've ever given to my community. I'm benefiting from other people's kindness I'm trying to work on becoming stronger in wisdom and knowledge so that I can eventually be more help to others too. See, you and I each have a part to play. We can be a part of meeting the needs of others. And in the process, we discover what Jesus said, that in losing our life, serving others, that's how we find our life. So how do we do our part? How do we discover our gifts? Well, it starts simply by serving. I gave you a great example. If you're not sure where to serve, just help with the preschoolers. That'll help you discover if that's a passion or not, right? (laughs) But if you start serving little ones or serving in some other capacity, the next thing that you would do is just try new things. Maybe there's an area that that there's a need and and you just want to jump in and maybe you have a passion for it that you didn't even realize. But also pay attention to where God uses you spiritually to build up others. I shared this story a few months ago, but as a high school kid, really kind of new in my, renewed in my faith, my youth pastor asked me to lead an event, a canned food drive. Now, it may not seem like much, but I was kind of a shy kid and, and was overwhelmed by the request. And the way he asked me to do it was very interesting. He said, you know, Eric, I see you have gifts that might include leadership. Would you help with this? About the same time, my parents encouraged me to try out for a leadership position in the high school, which I ended up remarkably getting. You see, what I began to realize is that these were people God put in my life, and they believed in me before I believed in myself. They saw something in me I couldn't see in myself. When you start serving, when you're in community, people can speak into your life what you might not even have yet dreamed could be true. So what's your gift or gifts? Let me give you a real practical way to work on that. Go to gatewaychurch.com, top right, where it says search, just type in the word gifts. We have a Bible study there. Many of our life groups go through it. It's called a spiritual gifts outcome. And there's also an assessment. Now, I mentioned serving with kids. And you know, you start serving with kids. You have a passion with kids. 
What you begin to realize is you might have organizational gifts or gifts of hospitality or gifts of teaching or musical gifts that you didn't even realize. And all of a sudden, as you're trying to help these little ones grow and you're caring for others' little ones, you start to grow. I mean, how many of us in this room found faith or as adults rediscovered the faith of our childhood because someone else was willing to invest in us who was not even their own child? Or maybe beyond serving on Sundays, knowing there are different ways to serve, networks that you can get involved in in serving the city. We mention it every week, but starting gate, maybe that's your next step today. Find your niche, find your place to serve. And when we're all serving in a place of passion and giftedness, it's life-giving for us, and it makes us stronger as a body. Our light grows in this world of darkness. So why then does God want this for us? Look, let's see in verse 13. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to kick us with lies or trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. That last phrase, healthy and growing and full of love, that's spiritual maturity. See, we... Some of us think maturity is, is about seniority, but that's not always the case. We think maturity is about knowledge, having a, a, winning a Bible trivia contest, but that's not always the case. Erwin McManus, the pastor at Mosaic, where we were serving in L.A. for 13 years, would say that maturity is not how much you know, but how quickly you're willing to do what you know. See, maturity is a willingness to trust God, to step out in faith, The sign of a healthy church is that together we demonstrate the attitudes and actions of Jesus. Our senior pastor, John Burke, wrote a book called Unshockable Love. And if you've ever wondered if Gateway is a place for healthy, maturing Christians, I want to encourage you to read it. Because in many ways, we've measured maturity wrong. It's it's not about religious traditions. It's about having the attitudes and actions of Jesus. Ultimately, the end goal is that we might be healthy, growing, and full of love. But notice something important, verse 16 again. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I can't do this for you. Our staff can't do this for you. We can provide opportunity and motivation and equipping and organization, but it only happens as each part does its work. Everyone has a ministry to do. Everyone can spiritually develop another person, even if they're just a half step behind you. But the problem is too many of us say yes to Jesus but never really grow in maturity. Uh, Here's a a, a terrible analogy. I'm warning you ahead of time. But just think, what if the lobby was filled with babies, infants, crawling and crying? And they're crying because they're hungry. And they're crying and they're crawling and they're wearing their diapers and it's just this loud cacophony of sound reverberating in the lobby and the the adults that walk through the lobby walk right past them, annoyed with these little babies all around, thinking, you know what, 
let's get out of here. And so they go over to Texas land and cattle <laughs> because they have good steaks. And they wanted to get away from the infants that needed nourishment because they're mature. But they get to there, to the Texas land and cattle, and they order the biggest steak they could. And then they expect the waiter to cut the steak up for them and to add the ketchup and to feed them. Maybe they're not as mature as they think they are, right? A mature person is healthy and growing and helping other people grow. I've shared this story probably far too many times, but I'll, I'm going to share it again because it's one of my favorite, most embarrassing moments. When the kids were little, probably five and four or five and three, we went to this place called 21 Choices. It's a lot like Amy's ice cream. And so you go to the front and you order your, your ice cream and they mix in these things for you to eat and then they, they mix it up and then they always let you try it to make sure it's the way you like. Well, the kids were little and, and you know, five and two or three and, and one's in a wheel, or a little, uh, uh, what do you call those? It's been so long, stroller. <laughs> and the other one's standing next to me. So the woman mixes up my food, 20-something-year-old woman, and she puts the ice cream over the counter for me to try, and for some reason, I went. <laughs> I let a grown woman feed me. My little kids were ashamed of me in that moment. My wife turned beet red. I looked at her, and I said, it's perfect. <laughs> You see, it's, it's funny when it happens at an ice cream place, but it's tragic in real life when an adult can't feed himself. And see, our job is not to feed you, which by the way, if you only came to get fed once a week, you're going to be malnourished. Our job is to make you hungry to challenge you to live the life that God has called you to live, which requires God to show up for you day after day. Spending time with God and scriptures and prayer and spending time in community, serving together with others, every day growing to become the person he's called you to be and the people he's called us to be. And see, our values help us live this out. You can go out and look at the mural on the wall, and that's not just our values. It's also our spiritual path towards growth. See, it begins with come as you are. It's about grace. God accepts you as is, forgives us in Jesus. And what ends up happening is this experience on Sundays is more like the Sermon on the Mount, where you can come no matter where you may be in your spiritual journey. And we like to keep it dark so you can remain anonymous and to get rid of the distractions. And, and sometimes we'll have haze and lights to, to try to get out of our mind all those other thoughts so that we can actually connect with God in the context of a crowd. But it just starts with come as you are. But it doesn't help if we just stay that way. In fact, I want to encourage you to come every Sunday and pray this simple prayer. Just pray this. God, what do you have for me today? And what do you want from me today? Just every week pray, God, what do you have for me and what do you want from me? And I guarantee when you pray that prayer, when you have open heart and open mind, God has something for you every week when we're together. And he has someone for you to serve or something for you to do that will help you grow. But the next step in that is to live connected 
to be a part of community, the, the 70, so to speak, that Jesus sent out to meet the spiritual and emotional and physical and spiritual needs of others, where we're committed to each other relationally. And so we have a group right after service that literally they meet right here and then they reset this room. Suddenly, strangers have become friends. And we have a group of women, a network that's actually putting on an event this weekend, a great way to get to know other people. It's for all ages. I encourage you to be a part of it. It's a beautiful time to experience more of and realize more of who you are, but in the context of new relationships. The last day to register is Tuesday, and it's only $20 if you've already taken the assessments, which includes meals and snacks. It's going to be a beautiful time this weekend. But we have other networks, like our business leaders who are gathering together for a happy hour on October 10th. Or, or we have our anchor network, which is our 20-year-olds teaming with our, our network that serves those under the bridge, bridging neighbors on October 12th. Or the Gateway Guys group, along with NextGen, which is putting on Fall Fest that we can all be a part of and serving. That's why these little cards are on your chair to invite a friend to be a part of it. Or that's why we have Winter Camp a place where your kids can develop friendships and discover more the God who loves them. If you missed any of these things, just go to gatewaychurch.com south. These are opportunities to get connected. And then that moves to being transformed, being intentional about spiritual growth in a life group. And then we move towards changing our world. God has gifted you. He has put in you all that you need to become the person he's created you to be. But it requires willingness, not only to follow him, but to engage in community, to serve others with others. And I don't have time to tell you so many beautiful examples. Jessica and Nancy's story is just one of hundreds I could tell you of how you as a generous church family have made a difference in the lives of other people. If you are new here, you're stepping into a community that that has helped this big city feel like a small town to me and my family. See, you and I, we can be the light in a dark world. God is wanting to use us to point others towards him and towards his family. But the question we have to answer is this. Are we willing to light the candle that God has given us? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you love us, that you pursue us, and that all we have to do is surrender our lives and trust our hearts to you. Thank you that you offer forgiveness through your sacrifice on the cross, and that you offer new life because you rose from the dead and your spirit comes to live within us. So God, would you show us our next step? Would you help us find our place to serve? Would you help us discover our spiritual gifts? And would you use us as a light in the lives of our family, our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends? Would you help us to become all you've created us to be as individuals, but also as a community?